Welcome back to the Mastering Your Fertility podcast. This show is all about empowering couples with the knowledge they need to get pregnant, stay pregnant, and have the healthiest baby possible. I'm Kristen Cornett, a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and owner of an online fertility practice called Tiny Feet. I work with women and couples all over the world to optimize their health and fertility so they can build the families they've always dreamed of. You can learn more about me on my website at tinyfeet.co. Thanks so much for tuning in with me today. Before we get started, I just want to share a couple of awesome free resources that can help you move forward on your journey. First is the free Are You Healthy Enough to Get Pregnant quiz that will ask you about symptoms in five areas of health that are foundational to fertility and provide you with some practical tips on how to get started addressing each area. Next is the free mini course on how to choose the best prenatal supplements, which walks you through the specific nutrients you need to support your fertility and a healthy pregnancy, and how to find high quality supplements to meet your needs. And lastly, if you're wanting more individualized advice for where to go next on your journey, or you're thinking that you'd like to work with someone one-on-one, you can go ahead and schedule a free 20-minute phone consult with me. You can find links to all three of these resources through the link in this week's episode description. You're listening to episode 86, and this week I'm interviewing acupuncturist and herbalist, Dr. Jill Blakeway. We talk about her book, Making Babies, and discuss some of the differences in approach and treatment options for infertility in conventional versus Chinese medicine. You'll learn more about Jill's take on how heavily IVF is being relied upon for fertility treatment, why more natural options aren't being presented to couples struggling to conceive, and what aspects of health and wellness are most overlooked in a fertility setting how the Chinese medicine approach to fertility differs from the conventional approach, the five fertility types that Jill and her co-author, Dr. Sammy David, discuss in their book, Making Babies, and why it's so important for women and couples to receive individualized treatment for fertility. Jill is such an incredible wealth of knowledge and has spent decades in clinical practice with patients, helping them make beautiful, healthy babies. So I'll go ahead and introduce you to Jill and we'll get started. Jill Blakeway is a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine, a licensed and board certified acupuncturist and clinical herbalist who has been practicing energy healing for over 20 years. Jill founded the Unova Center in New York City in 1999 and currently acts as clinical director alongside her husband, Noah Rubenstein. Unova currently has three locations, Flatiron, Brooklyn Heights, and recently opened East Side. As a practitioner, she is known for her her intuitive approach to Chinese medicine and particularly her skills as an acupuncturist and energy healer. Jill co-authored the best-selling book, Making Babies, a proven three-month program for maximum fertility about how to conceive naturally. She also authored a second book about women's sexual health called Sex Again, Recharging Your Libido. Jill's recently published third book, Energy Medicine, The Science and Mystery of Healing, describes what it means personally and scientifically to be an energy healer and draws on cutting edge research to explain how acupuncture and energy medicine work. Jill traveled the world for two years interviewing and apprenticing with top scientists and energy healers to explain the science behind energy healing and how we can use it in our own lives to heal illness and live fuller, longer lives. Jill was the first acupuncturist to ever give a TED Talk at TED Global in 2012. You can find links to Jill's practice, website, books, and social media in the show notes for this week's episode through the link in the episode description. Enjoy the interview. Welcome, Dr. Jill Blakeway. Thank you so much for joining me today on Mastering Your Fertility. I'm very excited to have you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. 
Absolutely. Can you start by sharing a little bit about your background, how you got into Chinese medicine and started working with fertility? Well, yes, I have done this for quite a long time now, um, over 20 years. Um, I'm a, a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture. Um, and I started, I got into acupuncture like a lot of Western acupuncturists of my generation because I tried it and it worked. I had a sort of chronic health issue that wasn't responding to conventional medicine and someone in a health food store suggested I go to an acupuncturist and I did and he solved it. And I was so impressed that kind of led me on a journey. I ended up doing a master's and then a doctorate in Chinese medicine in California. And eventually I moved to New York and in 1999, which is a long time ago now, I started Unova, um, which is um, a, a large Chinese medicine practice in New York City. We have three offices, um, one in Brooklyn, one in, on the Upper East Side, and one in the Flatiron. And I write books. I wrote a book called Making Babies, which is relevant to what we're going to talk about today. A book called Sex Again, which I wrote because my fertility patients would try so hard to have a baby, they'd say to me, I I'm never going to have sex again. And I was like, no, no, you will, you will. I'll write as a book. And um, my recent book is called Energy Medicine, The Science and Mystery of Healing. And it's look at all the prompts and the science behind them and how they can be measured, all the ways people can be prompted to heal themselves. Yeah, you've had quite a career um, and are very busy, I'm sure. And you have a lot of experience in this area and kind of a unique perspective that sort of brings together that Western and Eastern perspective, which I love because I think it's really important to have those multiple perspectives, especially on the fertility journey. Different things resonate with different people. And I think it's important to kind of use the best of all the tools that we have available to us. Well, I really agree. Uh, and my experience with patients, and I've been treating fertility patients my whole career, is that what they want is the best of all possible worlds. They want what um, biomedicine has to offer, but they don't want to be over-medicated unnecessarily. And they want any wisdom that comes from traditional uh, medical systems. And Chinese medicine has a ton of wisdom when it comes to fertility. And its subtlety is in some ways its strength because hormones are very subtle. They're in little subtle feedback loops and often pharmaceuticals actually knock them too far in one or other direction. So I find that Chinese herbs particularly and acupuncture are really good at helping me fine tune in a way that helps people get pregnant. So um, we do, I wrote Making Babies with a Doctor because I just wanted to give people the best of Eastern medicine and Western medicine. And Dr. David, who I wrote the book with, was the first doctor in New York State to do an IVF. He, he's done this a long, long time. And we really did just sit down and work out what the best approach would be combining all of our knowledge of patients. So, you know, sometimes with a large fibroid, the best approach is surgery. And we said that. Uh, and sometimes um, with a, a sort of um, long follicular phase, women who take a long time to ovulate, the best approach is Chinese herbs. And we said that. So um, uh, I, I'm glad you, you like that approach. It's very popular with our patients. Yeah, I'm sure it seems, to, uh, it seems to work well. And it made for a really interesting read in the Making Babies book as well. 
So one of the things that I wanted to start out talking about is this concept of kind of unexplained infertility, because there are a significant number of fertility patients that go through a conventional assessment and they are still left unexplained, which is really frustrating. I think it's probably the most frustrating, quote, diagnosis you can receive uh, in conventional medicine when going through fertility struggles. So why do you feel like so many couples are in that unexplained boat and are struggling to get an explanation for why they can't get pregnant? It is frustrating, Kristen, when you've, you've had all the tests and nobody can find anything. Although on the bright side, that does mean that there isn't anything major wrong because they would have found it, but it doesn't help you get pregnant. And we often see people at that stage, they've had all the tests and everybody has shrugged their shoulders and nobody really can work this out. And here's what I've um, uh, come to realize over many years is that usually what's happening is they have lots of little things that are going wrong that are almost subclinical and they wouldn't really matter if they were on their own but they start to gang up on them and statistically then slow them down so I always see my job as solving all the little problems and it may be a slightly low sperm count over here a slightly delayed ovulation over over here maybe just a little bit of a thin uterine lining you can see how this starts to um, uh, affect people because it gangs up maybe a little propensity to inflammation in the uterus or um, a, a problem with microcirculation these are all small things and if you just had one of them you would probably find it surmountable but by the time you have four or five it's really slowing you down and you're sort of playing Russian roulette every month and uh, it's very frustrating. So I take a patient like that and I do a very full intake. We talk for a long time and what I'm doing is detective work. I'm looking for all the tiny little imbalances and then I try and tighten everything up. And that is how we get good results with patients with um, uh, unexplained infertility. And we've never really been able to explain it because there isn't really one thing. But they do get pregnant, I think, if you just focus on every aspect. I agree. Uh, that's definitely the, the detective work is the exciting piece of this work, in my opinion, you know, working with functional medicine and kind of diving into that full intake and really asking questions that have maybe never been asked. And I think that maybe is one of the reasons that some of these particular clients and patients are struggling to get a diagnosis, because I don't know that conventional medicine really has quite the same tools to really dig into those small things. You know, they're very good at, you know, big, clear diagnostic type of issues, but this like, oh, there's a little something here and a little something here. Uh, the way that we're set up in, in conventional medicine isn't quite as supportive of that type of investigative work. Well, you're right. And functional medicine, a bit like Chinese medicine, looks at the relationships between different systems, which is something that um, in biomedicine doesn't have prominence. You know, we're not thinking about how the digestive system affects the uh, reproductive system, for instance. Um, but in Chinese medicine, we do because we're looking for patterns of disharmony. And I always tell my patients, you know, after I wrote energy medicine, people said, what is qi? Which, you know, it just sounds so mystical. What is your energy? Well, really, what it is, is your body's intelligence. It's all the bits you take for granted. You know, if you go out and have a few drinks, your liver recovers, hopefully, if you don't do it too often. <laughs> it kicks in, it detoxifies. If you get a bug bite, you have a histamine reaction. Your body's very intelligent, and to do that, it has to be aware. And those are, that awareness is what creates synchronization in the body. So a lot of um, particularly unexplained uh, infertility is actually lack of synchronization uh, or 
lack of communication. So I always define energy as your body's intelligence, um, right down to a cellular level where every cell in your body needs to know what it is, where it is, and what it's supposed to do. And that is a form of awareness and intelligence, not intellectual intelligence, but it is a form of intelligence. Every organ has intelligence. You know, your gallbladder, which you just take for granted unless it goes wrong, has to know when to release bile and how much. And that requires awareness. And I think um, uh, um, the communication between organs and between organ systems is part of that awareness. And it often goes a little awry. And I think a lot of the chronic issues that people suffer from, including autoimmune issues and inflammatory issues, are really issues of um, lack of awareness. Uh, The body has lost its rhythm and its ability to come back into homeostasis. Um, And that's true for infertility, but it's also true for fibromyalgia, say, or some of the other issues that um, Chinese medicine is really good at dealing with. Yeah, I would agree with that, certainly. And that's something that um, that lack of awareness or communication or connection between systems is something that medication isn't necessarily going to be the best strategy for treating. Well, yes. How do you wake up awareness? That was the question I asked in Energy Medicine, my last book. How do you prompt the body's already intelligent systems to function and kick in and bring you back to balance? Your body is an extraordinary tool, as you know, and um, uh, spends a lot of energy coming back into homeostasis after all sorts of things we do for it. And how do we prompt that? And acupuncture is one of those prompts. And in Energy Medicine, I looked at how it worked and how the transmission of information um, happens. Um, uh, Chinese herbs are another one, supplements are another one, because they're subtle. And as we said, hormones are in very delicate balance. So as you know, if you give someone pharmaceutical estrogen, you throw everything off. Um, uh, But if you give them herbs that make their body's ability to produce estrogen and synthesize it um, work better, then your body will find balance. And that is really what we do. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about synthetic hormone treatment. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective. And I read a little bit about this in Making Babies on just the way that we're using procedures like IVF to treat infertility. And a lot of times there is a specific diagnosis that doctors may be recommending the use of IVF for. But in a lot of cases, it's like, well, we can control it more if we decide to, you know, go the pharmaceutical route. Um, we have more control over the entire process. And so talk a little bit about what your thoughts are and how we're using IVF to treat infertility and maybe what some of the, the risks of overtreatment might be. Well, uh, to start with, I'd like to say that it is a wonderful technology and I'm really glad that we have it. And some people really do need it and um, it works beautifully. And I have many little patients who are here because of IVF and they're beautiful and extraordinary. And I'm so glad (laughs) that it all worked out. Um, uh, So it's a great technology. And one of the things that I always tell my patients is that we're lucky to live in a time with choices. Um, uh, you know, that we're not just shrugging our shoulders. There are things that you can do. Um, and these technologies are really useful. In the book, Dr. David and I, remember he was the person to do the first IVF in New York State, um, felt that a lot of our patients were pushed into IVF too early um, or, you know, through fear and that people weren't really looking to solve problems. Um, uh, and this idea that IVF is this sort of it will solve everything, is, is not realistic. It actually has quite low success rates. 
um, relatively. Um, and so solving problems is sometimes a good idea. And we tell a story in the book about a patient. I remember her well. I gave her a pseudonym in the book, so I can't remember what we called her, but I can see her and I know her real name. But she was told by a doctor that if she didn't do IVF, she would have a less than 1% chance of conceiving. And statistics always sound very impressive or very scary, but the truth is nobody knows with something as variable um, uh, as uh, getting pregnant. Nobody really knows uh, what her chances were. And she came for a second opinion to both me and Dr. David. And we both did our, our versions of a workup. And Dr. David found that she had a little infection, uh, urea plasma, that would uh, could possibly be stopping implantation. And I found that she had a little hormone dip in her progesterone uh, in her luteal phase. And she also had a slightly slow um, transformation. She uh, When her LH surge to trigger ovulation. It took a couple of days for her to ovulate, which, you know, the, the egg is sort of deteriorating at that point. So I tightened up her hormones. He gave her antibiotics, which he used to joke was his favorite fertility drug. Um, and she got pregnant naturally. Uh, so if she hadn't had a second opinion, that very scary statistic would have um, made her um, have IVF. Now, ironically, she would have probably got pregnant with IVF too, if you think about it, because they often give people antibiotics before IVF, and they would have tightened up her hormones with the stim drugs and by giving her progesterone after um, transfer. So she would never have known <laughs> that she could have done this naturally. Um, and she'd have been um, thinking, wow, IVF is an amazing technology and saved me. But from our perspective, a little bit of detective work meant that she could do something really very simple and conceive naturally. And IVF is expensive. It's not covered by most insurance policies, sadly. I think it should be, but it's not. And it ha it's not without its risks. And we were careful in making babies because we did not want to scare women who are doing IVF. IVF is basically safe. We have large studies that show that, you know, people are um, um, come through this just fine. Um, I think um, doing too many fertility drugs over a period of time starts to be unsafe, particularly if you have any kind of genetic propensity to have ovarian cancer. Um, to start with, if you're if you're in that group of people, so we'd like to have people as med, uh, as under medicated as we can, um, uh, um, and that means doing detective work before we rush them into IVF. Yeah, and I think it's it's too bad that more couples aren't receiving a little bit of that detective work. I mean, why do you think it is that there's such a resistance? And this isn't true for like for all medical practices, for all fertility treatment facilities. You know, some are are recommending that patients seek out some alternatives or some additional detective work with other practitioners. But I think the general attitude is you don't need that stuff. You know, you don't need to change your diet. You don't need to do anything with supplements. Why do you think there's such a resistance to acceptance of some of these natural therapies that really do work for couples? Well, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, I think, to a certain extent. <laughs> Um, uh, I have to say, though, that um, the doctors that I deal with in New York and a lot of our referrals at Unova are from doctors um, are very conscientious and actually don't want to over-medicate their patients either. And I think attitudes may be changing. Um, but it is a miraculous technology and it does solve a lot of things. Um, could they be solved simpler? Yes, they probably could. I'll give you another example. Some women are not getting pregnant because they have something with a horrible name 
name, um, called hostile cervical mucus. <laughs> I think we should rename it. But what it means is that their fertile cervical mucus is either too thick for the sperm to swim in or it's too acidic and the sperm die. And Dr. David does a very old fashioned test that nobody does anymore where he, it's called a postcoital test, which is exactly what you think it is. Um, the, uh, the couple have intercourse and then the woman comes in, Dr. David takes some of the mucus and sees if the sperm are alive or not. He tests the pH um, and that is very solvable. You can, um, in making babies, we give a recipe for a baking soda douche that um, lots of people have had babies because of our baking soda douche in that book. Um, uh, we also give um, a, a chest expectorant, um, uh, the same kind of mucinex, the same expectorant you would take if you had a, a sticky, phlegmy cough to thin out mucus. Um, and both those things work. Now, what also works? IVF, of course, because it bypasses. <laughs> you don't have to have intercourse to have IVF. You're bypassing the cervix. Your uh, fertile mu mucus is completely irrelevant to the whole process. Um, so if you're not getting pregnant and nobody can work out why the doctor has a tendency to say let's let's try the IVF because he's seen that work you know he's he's got many happy patients who've had babies because of that he's not messing about with an old-fashioned post-coital test and all the sort of palava of getting the patients covered at the right moment and all that he thinks of that as really or she as really old-fashioned <laughs> um but it does work and that is that was the argument we went made in waking babies that it was worth spending it's called making these a three-month program for maximum fertility and the argument we were making was take three months if you have the time I mean if you're running out of time if your FSH is high and your AMH is low then obviously move first but if you have the time take three months to get into really good reproductive health you'll probably get pregnant in that time and if you don't you'll be in a way better position to have a healthy pregnancy um, and we thought that was the kind of thing that wasn't being said often enough. I would completely agree with that. So a lot of the clients that I see in my practice are, are definitely in that spot where they're kind of being made to feel like they have to do this now, or there's not going to be another option. Uh, but a lot of them do have time and they're not in a position where their bodies are not going to be able to do this naturally. So I, I guess that's a question I have is in your practice, what do you find? How many, what percentage I would say of patients do you find actually do need to go through IVF or some other form of ART to achieve pregnancy? You know, Kristen, I don't know. I would be guessing. And it's a bit like that 1% number I told you. There's a lot of that kind of guessing goes on in our medicine and statistics sound very solid. But, you know, if you're just guessing them, they're not at all. I would say it's a, it's a reasonable number. There are people who do need to do IVF. And it's important to say that IVF solves some problems. For example, if you have very variable egg quality, IVF gives the, you, you plenty of eggs, hopefully. Um, they get fertilized. Um, the technology to assess them, embryologists have very good technology to um, assess them now. Some IVF centers in New York actually video the eggs in the, uh, the embryos in the incubator and play back the videos and they can get information even from that. But it's a, it's a good editing process uh, uh, in some ways. The doctor gets plenty to choose from and they put back the best embryo. 
that embryo can be pre-genetically diagnosed so um, they can start to rule out sort of major genetic problems that says a lot of heartache in older women who are more likely to have miscarriages from uh, you know genetic issues in the in the embryo um, so um, there are a, a significant number of people who do need to do IVF and for whom IVF is a really good idea and then we just support them through their IVF there's plenty of research that shows that acupuncture enhances the efficacy of IVF. So we switch to a supportive mode <laughs> rather than a problem-solving mode, and we just help them through their IVF. Yeah, well, that's, that's an amazing form of support that uh, many women can benefit from as they're going through fertility treatment. So let's talk a little bit more about the Chinese medicine approach to infertility or fertility struggles and just how this process of assessment is so different from what we're looking for in more of the biomedical model. Well, you mentioned it in relation to functional medicine, actually. Um, we ask different questions because <laughs> we're looking for a whole picture. So we're looking to get a whole person pregnant. Um, so, you know, we're asking about their digestion and whether they have headaches. And um, I, I um, do a full intake. It takes me about an hour. I do it on Zoom these days <laughs> with people. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I'm looking at everything, including sort of their emotional state, their stress level. I'm looking for toxicity. Um, I'm looking for inflammation. I'm looking for hormone imbalances. I'm looking for circulatory problems uh, a lot of the time, particularly obviously to the uterus and the ovaries. Um, uh, and I'm looking for um, underdiagnosed conditions. You know, often I spot a PCOS and then send people to a gynecologist for, um, uh, to, you know, rule it in or out, uh, that kind of thing. So I, and I like to get to know my patients. A lot of my patients, um, when I see them here on Zoom, I, I meet both of them. Obviously two people get pregnant. <laughs> I think men get neglected. Um, um, there are more technologies to sell to women <laughs> and things to do to women. But in fact, men are obviously really important. They're 50% of this, but they're also, um, they can, uh, change their reproductive um, uh, status really easily. They make new sperm every day that come into fruition in 72 days. So, you know, in three to six months, we can have a very different um, looking semen analysis than the one we start with. It's actually very satisfying because it's very measurable. And we use Chinese herbs to do that. With women, we, we're looking for little signs that they're improving until they get pregnant. Um, and a sort of live birth is our success rate. But with men, um, we can, we can see it early on we can see the semen analysis changing so um, I'm I'm just uh, asking about everything from do your ears ring to do you have pain in your ankles really <laughs> yes definitely well and that's that speaks to what we were talking about earlier with the connections between body systems and why is it important if your ears ring or you know if you have headaches yes. or digestive issues those things I think are still not well understood I love that you know there's podcasts and all kinds of information out there now to help women understand that there are connections between those body systems and I think we're slowly yeah. kind of waking up women's intuition as well. Like when they have a sense, like when I started my fertility journey, I, I had no idea that there was a reason that my digestive issues were connected to my fertility issues, but I just knew they were. And yeah. now the fact that there's information that can support that, I may not have gotten that from a conventional provider, but the fact that I could go and learn and find information about how those things were connected, I think is, is such an awesome thing about this age of technology that we have now. 
I do too. And you're right, women instinctively know. A lot of women, for example, get constipated before their period and then have loose stools with their period. And when I ask them that, they're like, oh, that does happen to me. Nobody has ever asked me. <laughs> but it just shows how hormones affect our digestive system. Uh, similarly, um, women get headaches and migraines before their period often, or sometimes at the end of their period, they get a headache, which is a different type of of headache. Um, and I'm the first person who's asked them whether they get cyclical headaches around their menstrual cycle. Um, and to me, it's significant. It speaks to a hormone imbalance that I set about solving. Um, and that's the kind of detail that we're into in Chinese medicine. <laughs> yeah, functional medicine as well. Yeah, I think my intakes are around 90 minutes and there's a lot yeah. of questions on those intake forms, but it really does help kind of flesh out the picture when you are looking for something small or potentially several small things, you do need to dig a little bit deeper and ask some of those questions. You really do. You really do. Uh, uh, and that, and also, you probably agree with me, it's fun. It's interesting. It is. I start to do my intake and I can start to hear it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, I've seen this type of thing before. And I have a ton of experience. And it's sort of interesting to, to um, uh, do the detective work and piece it all together and then, you know, come up with the patient with a solution. And what I usually do is I create a treatment plan and I share it with the patient and I set short-term goals as well as long-term goals so that we know we're on the right track. I think sometimes alternative medicine can get a bit open-ended and people don't know if it's working, but there are lots of ways of measuring efficacy um, for myself as a practitioner as well as for the patient. Um, and so I will, you know, obviously, if our um, uh, long-term goal is a live birth at the end of this of a beautiful baby, our short-term goals can be things like no PMS or no mid-cycle spotting, or um, uh, um, I often take basal body temperature charts with my uh, patients and, you know, I'll, I'll want the um, temperatures to sustain after ovulation, that kind of thing. And so we set all these goals and then we measure them once a month together. And it's a very, um, it's a sort of therapeutic partnership because I do my bit. I prescribe herbs and um, uh, make dietary adjustments and give lifestyle advice, but the patients do their bit too. Um, and, you know, they, they modify their diets and they work at it. And so we kind of work at it together and assess our progress as we go and change our treatment plan if, if it isn't working. You know, we, we, we move forward. I don't like to get stuck or bogged down in a case. I like, I like us to be moving towards our end goal. I'm very results orientated. My husband always jokes I'm, I'm the most type A acupuncturist he's ever met. And it may be why I like fertility. You know, it's very measurable. I can see them getting better. I see their BBT charts getting better. I see their symptoms get better. And then they get pregnant. And then they send me pictures of their lovely babies. And I have one woman who wrote to me recently to say that her um, oldest son, who I had a little hand in, um, is going to college. And um, her the other one is just a year behind. So, uh, and she sent me pictures. And all these years later, she thought, I must tell Jill that he's going to college. Oh, that <laughs> must be, that, yeah, that must be so yeah. wonderful to hear from. You know, once you've been doing this long yeah. enough that you have that kind of history with a patient, that's really cool. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm starting to treat things like menstrual cramps in babies. I had uh, a, a small hand in, <laughs> who have grown up and are now teenage girls and there's something just so lovely about that I think as I'm doing my intake I knew you when you were a concept 
wow. when we were just wishing for you and now look at you 14. <laughs> well, and that's so great that, that you're the one who's being consulted about addressing those menstrual cramps. And, and, you know, now we have this sort of uh, generational effect of providing more of like a root cause type of medicine. And I think it's, yeah. There would have been uh, there would have been so much that I could have worked on in a more functional type of medical approach like acupuncture or functional medicine when I was uh, a teenager myself. I'm like, man, there's so many things I wish I knew. I could have saved myself a lot of years of struggle. I like, I mean, educating is part of my job. Um, I mean, that's why I write books, but I, I particularly enjoy teenagers. We have a pediatric practice at Yenova, so we do treat tiny babies. Our youngest was a week old with colic. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, my husband, Noah, uh, runs the pediatric side of Yenova, and they have enormous fun in that site there. <laughs> There's toys and um, we have special equipment so that we don't use needles and um, we have really lovely herbs that are made here and are very pure. Um, uh, and so we are um, treating people from being very small and part of what we're doing is um, talking to children about their bodies and getting them to listen to their bodies and uh, explain to us what's going on uh, as best they can. And it's sort of a practice. We start when they're three or four and we start asking them questions not just their mom um, and what we're doing is trying to get them to feel um, when their body is in balance and feel what it feels like when it goes out of balance um, uh, rather than wait until their body's screaming which is what happens that is an incredible skill to develop at a young age, I think, in children. Yes. And that's one of the struggles is like trying to develop that sense of awareness in a child. But like, if you can do that at a younger age, that's something that they can bring all the way through their lifetime and be able to recognize, you know, more intuitively what might be happening that that helps whoever is treating them for whatever issue in, in the future, um, you know, really make a better assessment and better recommendations if we can just get people to know how to be in their bodies more. Yes. So we get little, um, little kids to look at their poo, which they love doing. <laughs> <laughs> and reporting back and what we're teaching them is what normal poop looks like yes and what it looks like when um something is just sliding out of balance and it's nothing to worry about but you you can correct it that you're not powerless over your poop <laughs> and, and so you know noah will ask kids to uh look at their poo in the toilet and report in uh, when they come to see him about how it's been which and honestly they take great pleasure in doing as you can imagine <laughs> oh, yes, I'm sure they do. I just spent the weekend with my seven-year-old nephew, and he loves nothing more than to talk about things related to poo. <sighs> yes, yeah, no, this is, this is uh, just being given permission to really think about your poo is um, uh, a gift to a seven-year-old boy. <laughs> and um, <laughs> some of them text him. Um, Noah with little updates. Sometimes he, we're driving around New York and he will get out to take a picture of a dumper truck for a small child who's his patient. Um, but what we're doing is developing a relationship um, that we hope as they grow up will, um, will be sustaining, you know, that they can always come to us. We're not going to be horrified or shocked or um, self-righteous or luxury. Um, we're going to partner with them to take care of their health. And we're trying to teach them sort of self-responsibility really young. Yeah, such wonderful lessons to be teaching at a young age. 
So let's talk a little bit uh, back to making babies about the five fertility types that you discuss in the book. Now you don't have to go into depth about each one of them, but just kind of give an overview of what women can expect to learn from looking deeper into that and men actually, because you cover this for both, both partners in the book. So what are kind of the different types and what do they indicate? Well, Dr. David and I um, realized that if we were going to write a book that is effective, um, that there isn't one size fits all. But there are sort of categories, buckets of people who need the same kind of advice. Um, and, and so I, I have to tell you, when we first wrote it, there were 14 fertility types and we got it down to five, which was manageable. And we just put them in broad camps because they need different information. So to give you an example, we have a type called the dry type, which is basically perimenopausal women who have what um, in Chinese medicine we call yin deficiency. And in Western medicine, we would call low or fluctuating estrogen. And those people suffer from dryness, vaginal dryness, dry eyes. Um, they're often sort of thin. They can often feel quite agitated. They often have sleep problems, sometimes night sweats, um, and uh, um, sometimes restless sleep with very vivid dreams. Um, they can be constipated. Uh, and so we wanted to put them in a bucket because we wanted to give them information that was all about um, a helping your body boost its estrogen and hydrating you from the inside out. So we'd like those people to have estrogenic plants, for instance. And that makes them really, really different to what we call the stuck type. And these are the people with estrogen dominance. Um, uh, so they have uh, fibroids sometimes, endometriosis, PMS, painful periods, clotted periods, that kind of thing. And we want it, obviously we don't want them to have estrogenic plants. We don't even want them to have, you know, tofu. <laughs> we want them off that. Um, we want to take out all the chemical estrogens in their cupboards, you know, that are the, the hormone mimickers in things like cosmetics and cleaning materials. We're, we're wanting to get their estrogen back into balance. We want to support their liver, which is responsible for the uptake of estrogen so that they have a better estrogen progesterone balance. So they have a completely different regimen. And we wanted to say that because people on the internet, there's a sort of, you know, the fertility diet or the this. But if you think about it, the reasons people aren't getting pregnant are so varied that that doesn't make any sense at all. And then we have a type we call the waterlog type. And these people often have a PCOS or PCOS ends up being a bit of a, um, a, a continuum. They're on their way to PCOS or they have PCOS. They often have metabolic problems. Um, they're tired. Uh, they are, they're often phlegmy. They produce mucus in response to inflammation and irritation. And we wanted to give them a very different diet. They have um, what's called spleen and kidney yang deficiency with damp in Chinese medicine. And we have a very specific way of treating them. They have different supplements. And then we have the tired type who are like the waterlog type in many ways, but not as phlegmy. So they don't have history of sinusitis and wheezing and things like that, but they, are, they have metabolic problems. They often have insulin resistance. They're the people who put on unfair weight you know, um, where they tell me quite rightly, Jill, I'm not really overeating in comparison to everyone else, but I just put on weight. Um, and so we wanted to support their pancreas. We wanted to support their digestive system. And we wanted to give them um, different herbs. And then we had one other category who we called the uh, pale type. And these people aren't getting nutrition from their food. That might be because they have a digestive imbalance 
or it might be because they're not eating very well. It could be either, um, but they are literally pale and undernourished. And these are the people who sometimes get um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, for instance, uh, they have no periods. Um, these are our over dieters and over exercisers, but they, they can also just be people who have a long history of sluggish digestion and aren't really getting nourished or people who literally eat on the run and are so stressed they forget to eat. It's a very broad sort of bucket of people, but those people we knew needed nourishing. If they're willing to eat meat and not, not everybody is, and far be it from me to make people eat meat if they don't want to, we, we wanted to give these people red meat. We wanted to give them an iron supplement. You know, we wanted to nourish their blood in Chinese medicine. We wanted um, a, a better quality endometrium. They tend to have a very thin endometrium and not very much um, fertile cervical mucus. So we're just giving them a, a different plan. And, uh, and so uh, the way the book works is you can go to the Innova Center website and you take the Making Babies quiz, or you can just take it on a piece of paper, but it's quicker on our website because we'll give you the result. And you will get a predominant type along with a secondary type. Um, so you'll be like a tired stuck is actually quite common. Um, uh, those people who are metabolically slow and estrogen dominant are fairly common in our world. Um, and then you will follow the program for your predominant type. Um, and you'll give a little bit of a glance to the program for your secondary type and try and incorporate some of that too. And if you go on Amazon, this book's been out for 10 years, so it has a, a track record. There are literally hundreds of people who said, I did what they said in the book and I got pregnant. Hundreds and hundreds. And that, I can't even tell you how happy that makes me because we realized we really did get it right. We got five buckets of people, gave them five separate bits of advice. And it works. If you do it for three months, for a lot of people, we can't guarantee it, obviously, but for a lot of people, this has worked. And it works in our practice. We're basically doing the same thing at Unova when we get fertility patients. We're taking them through a three-month program. We have a support and counseling group that meets, which is a sort of cost-effective way of doing it, where two senior you know, acupuncturists will take you through the three-month program, but in eight weeks, because nobody can meet on Zoom every week for three months, <laughs> but give you all the information you need to do a three-month program and diagnose yourself. You can come and see us individually. Um, you can see me, which didn't used to be the case, but since we quarantined in New York, I've, been, I've had time to be on Zoom. I haven't seen new patients for 10 years. I have 28 acupuncturists working at Yenova and supporting them was kind of my role, but I have been, I'm writing books, but I've, I've been back doing my job, uh, which I like. Um, uh, and you can see all the Yenova practitioners, all of whom specialize in fertility. And what we're really doing is taking you through this three month program. We're prescribing herbs, we're prescribing meditations. If you're in New York, you're coming in and seeing us for acupuncture. If not, we're um, giving you things to do that help you prompt your body's self-healing mechanisms in other ways, or sending you to your local acupuncturist, but dealing with your herbs, that kind of thing. And it's, uh, it's, it works. Our patients, for the most part, get pregnant. Some of them with technology as well as us. Some of them just, with, uh, just naturally. Well, that's really incredible. And uh, I think it's probably very inspiring for a lot of listeners to hear. And I think it is important that you 
that you included this personalization aspect in the book. Because I do think that that's what a lot of resources are missing is the fact that different people are going to have different issues. They're going to have different presentations and they're going to need a slightly different approach to what they do to support their fertility. And that's what's great about seeing and working with someone one-on-one -on -one, uh, that can personalize a little bit more for you. But it's great that you guys put this into kind of this categorization um, that provides some different advice that a lot of women and couples can probably just read the book and take the advice yes. and get pregnant. That's why we wrote it. We wanted to make what we do in our clinics in New York accessible for everyone for the price of a book. And um, so we really did just share our, our experience um, with people. And you're absolutely right. The individualized approach, obviously, if you see us, you get a very individualized approach. But honestly, um, just having advice for your type solves most people's problems. So the book is a, is a good investment, uh, I think, because it isn't one size fits all. One of my my pet peeves is that people take herbs they've read about on the internet and they say, I say, and why are you taking the chase berry, say? And they say, oh, because I heard it was a fertility herb. And, you know, there is no such thing as a fertility herb, just like there's no such thing as one fertility drug. There are herbs that solve very specific problems. Chaseberry I use for uh, the form of luteal phase defect at uh, the short period of time, a uh, too short period of time from ovulation to the beginning of the period um, that is caused by a long transition at ovulation. It just seems to tighten up the action of the pituitary beautifully. I've just done it. I have a patient in Paris. One of the joys of treating people on Zoom is I have patients all over the place and I sent her out shopping when Paris was off lockdown and she got some chaseberry and she just took it. She had, she had this long transformation to ovulation that I could see on her BBT chart so that her, her LH would surge and she could tell from her P-stick, her ovulation predictor kit that that was happening. And yet she wouldn't ovulate for like three days, one month on chaseberry and that was sorted out. And now her chart looks perfect. And I'm like crossing everything that, you know, two or three months of a perfect chart and she, she will get pregnant naturally um, and that is a good use of chaseberry but just taking it all month like it's a fertility herb is not and so we sort of wanted to get that information across for the price of a book because <laughs> that's cheap um, and and tell women and particularly but couples you know hand them the power back uh, uh, and teach them how they can help themselves yeah, I, that's incredibly powerful. I think that is one of the things about this fertility journey that is so frustrating for so many women and couples is that feeling of lack of control. There not being anything that you can do, not understanding what might be going wrong with your body, maybe not getting that full assessment with the doctors that they're currently seeing or you know, being told that there are other options that how, for how they can support themselves naturally. Exactly. That, that is why I come on shows like yours. I, I feel very evangelical about this. There's so much you can do. And I think the fertility process can rob you of a lot of autonomy um, and can make you feel like a number. Um, the, the big fertility houses in New York are amazing. They're really good, but they're very busy. Uh, and so people feel like they're at a bit of a factory. Um, and I always reassure them it is an efficient factory which is what you want. <laughs> and you can come and see me and I will hold your hands and I will listen. Um, but but I, it can be a little bit dehumanizing. And I, what I've wanted to do all my career is sort of hand power back to people um, so that they can influence their own health 
um, and use use it to to be as healthy as they possibly can. Absolutely. So this has been a wonderfully informative interview. Thank you so much for sharing your very broad expertise with the, the podcast audience. So the last question that I want to ask you is kind of what are your closing pieces of advice? Um, what would you like women or couples to take away from today's interview? Oh, I have so many things. Let me think. You know, one of the things um, I always tell my patients is that persistent couples get pregnant. It's very easy to just, you know, feel like you can't keep going. And I have found over, you know, decades of supporting um, couples with infertility that it's important to find a way to stay steady. Um, uh, it's a very difficult disorder to deal with because you go up and down, you have all this hope after ovulation and then you get your period and then your hopes are dashed and somehow you have to regalvanize yourself. And so finding mechanisms, I often troubleshoot with my patients, finding mechanisms to um, uh, re-stabilize yourself. And I don't um, uh, make people go too up, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Over the years, I have a lot of experience. I keep everything, but I don't say, oh, I think you're going to get pregnant this month. I would never say that. I just keep it very steady. And to see it like it's a marathon, not a sprint, and that if you're going in the right direction, you will get there. And doing things that make it make you feel as if your life isn't on hold. I, I, I think I try and design regimens for patients that they can actually do. I feel like some very draconian um, diets and very draconian regimens aren't things that people can do for six months, you know? Uh, they could possibly do it for two weeks and then they would go up the wall. So I try and find a, a sort of happy medium so that they're doing things that positively affect their health, but they're not so rigid that they feel like they joined the army and that their lives are moving on in other ways, that their relationship is continuing, that they are having joy with their partner, that they are doing fun things still, that they are making plans <laughs> because it, otherwise everything is on hold and everything is riding on this thing. And it is very bad for you to just go up and down, up and down, I think. Yes, I completely agree. That is something that I often recommend to clients is like, make sure that you have other things that you're enjoying in your life, things to look forward to. You know, if you have something that you've always wanted to do for personal development, or you have something that you'd like to achieve professionally, you know, keep those things on the table. Not everything in your life has to be on hold for baby. That's something that you can spend the time working toward and improving your health to prepare for, but there's still so many other things that can bring you joy in life. So I really appreciate that you said that. Um, I think that's awesome advice. Yeah, I, that's, that comes from listening to people for a long time and just wanting them to be healthy during the process, not just waiting uh, for it to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else that you'd like to share or links that you'd like to include um, in the show notes for this episode? I will make sure that we have links to everything on the show notes page, um, all of your books, as well as the link to Unova. Anything else you'd like to share? No, I, the Unova Center link may prove useful. We are um, bloggers um, and we blog and blog and blog. And we've been blogging since 2005. So we have a hefty archive. Um, uh, and there is usually people go down the rabbit hole in our blog and spend hours on there. We know because we look at our computer stats, we look at our Google stats. Um, there's, there's, um, there's even a chart um, using Pantone colors to show what color your period should be. And if it, you know, <laughs> your diagnosis, if it's a different color, 
color. Um, we have articles on PMS and painful periods and um, uh, things that aren't reproductive. Um, so uh, visitors at UnovaCenter.com, we we give information freely because we see ourselves as a as a resource for people, whether you're our patients or not. Um, and I do think that making babies for a lot of couples is a really help. Uh, helpful book. So uh, thank you ahead if you read it. It gives me great joy to think that it's still helping people 10 years later. Absolutely. Having read it myself, I can attest to the fact that it will be extremely helpful for women and couples who decide to go down that route. And I appreciate the fact that it does include information for men as well, because not all fertility resources do. So thank you again, Dr. Jill, so much for joining me today. Um, I really appreciate you and spending this time with me today to share all of this great information with the audience. Thank you for having me on. It's been fun.